Welcome to the Nature Reliance Podcast, where we explore the history and practical experience of the great outdoors and discover new ways to connect with nature. I'm Craig Cottle, your guide through the fascinating world of natural living and survival skills through experiential education and interviews. Today's episode is brought to you by the Nature Reliance School Online Membership, an immersive online learning experience designed for outdoor enthusiasts just like you. Are you passionate about the outdoors? Do you crave more knowledge about disaster readiness, wilderness survival, bushcraft, tracking, and nature awareness? If so, the Nature Reliance School online membership is your gateway to a community of like-minded individuals, all dedicated to learning and sharing essential outdoor skills. With the Nature Reliance School online membership, you get exclusive access to a wealth of resources, including expert-led tutorials, interactive webinars, and a library of engaging courses, downloadable books, and documents. Whether you're a beginner or an experienced outdoorsman, there's always something new to learn. So don't wait. Click on the link below to join the Nature Reliance School online membership today. Embrace the wilderness, enhance your skills, and become part of a community that values nature as much as you do. Now, let's dive into today's episode. More and more science-based research proves being outside is beneficial. Being outside can improve memory, depression, and even blood pressure. Too many people spend their working day among fluorescent lights and computer screens, then return home to the radiance of a television screen. But research indicates how important going outdoors can be for human health, maybe even essential. Today's episode has Craig Cottle, Master Naturalist and Founder of Nature Reliance School, giving his take on five things to improve your connection to nature. These include your senses, pneumatic filing, randomness versus order, bird language and activities, and the grand scale. Craig then ends with one excellent action step you can utilize. Once you are through listening to the podcast, jump over to our website at naturereliance.org and take advantage of more learning opportunities, including online Zoom classes. Hey, everybody. This is Craig Cottle, Director of Nature Reliance School for Naturalist Notebook here on the Nature Reliance Media Podcast. Thanks for joining me as always. I greatly appreciate it. I've got what I feel like is a really fantastic Naturalist Notebook this time. What I want to do is I want to help people connect to nature. And I like to connect with nature whether I'm in it for just the enjoyment of nature, for hunting, for wildlife observation, for survival, for bushcraft, hiking, sauntering, as you'll see real quickly what I mean by that. And I want to do that today. And I want to start us off with a quote. Now this quote I'm going to share is from John Muir, but you won't find it in any of his writings. You'll find it in a book entitled The Mountain Trail and Its Message. This book was written in 1911 by Mr. Albert Palmer, and you'll find this quote on page 27. Mr. Palmer recorded this quote from John Muir, and and again, he did not write, he being John Muir, did not write it down in his own writings, but it's pretty fantastic. Here we go. Hiking. I don't like either the word or the thing. People ought to saunter in the mountains, not hike. Do you know the origin of the word saunter? It's a beautiful word. Way back in the Middle Ages, people used to go on pilgrimage to the Holy Land. And when people in the villages through which they passed asked where they were going, they would reply, A la Saint-Thierre, to the Holy Land. 
and so they became known as St. Tierrers, or Saunterers. Now these mountains are our holy land, and we ought to saunter through them reverently, not hike through them. Again, that's from John Muir. I'm going to utilize that quote as a foundation for what I would consider the top five things that I want to utilize to help you and myself. This forced me to sit down and research some things to help myself connect with nature and do my best to communicate that to you all. Before we do that, I just want to bring your attention to our sponsors or some of our partial sponsors. We've got several now, which is fantastic. Outdoor Core has a list of courses that we teach right now. We've got several courses up on foraging, vital survival, utilizing trees for survival and bushcraft, edible trees. We've got a host of other things that are coming as well. So we look forward to that. Check out the link below for all of our courses that are on Outdoor Core and utilize them to help you be more informed in the outdoors. So let's get into this. So again, what I think is best for me to do is is to try to organize my thoughts into a way that I capture what it is that I do. Because quite frankly, I've done a lot of things in my life such that I got connected to nature due to, again, hunting, hiking, wildlife observation, wildlife habitat improvement, just pure enjoyment of being in the outdoors. And I've never thought about quantifying, organizing how it is that I did some of the things that I do. And so when I do podcasts like this on a natural notebook, what I'm trying to do, particularly when I'm relating some of the things that I've done personally, is I'm just putting them down in a way that it seems like is what I did. And this is really helping me. So thank you for listening in. I feel pretty comfortable that this is going to help you connect better to nature, whether you want to do it because you want to be a better hunter, a better trapper, a better hiker, a better saunterer, a better observer of wildlife, just a better I don't know, utilizing it for your own benefit to get away from the hustle and bustle of whatever it is that you do for work. So I've listed five things here. Those five things are ways that I feel like I get connected and have utilized the connection of nature to help me do what it is, do what it is that I do. The first is I want to appeal, number one, is I want to appeal to my own senses. Seeing, smelling, Hearing things, even tasting things in the outdoors, is where it is at. That is our, if you will, our connection to nature. Being able to utilize our senses, and the sense of touch is a big one. I use the sense of touch when I'm teaching tree identification a lot. Where I get people to close their eyes and actually touch a tree and go, it seems all kind of kooky and hocus pocus, I guess, but it's not at all. It's just forcing people to feel something that they didn't normally see. Like if you feel a hackberry tree and you've never felt a hackberry tree, well, it feels very particular. And once you feel it, you can actually see that as you're walking by it the next time. So what I want to do is appeal to our senses any way that I possibly can. So one of the things that I want to recommend for you to do is just, let's just think about those senses, okay? Let's just walk through them. What kind of things do I see? Now, it can be really simple. In step number two that I'm getting ready to describe for you, it's going to be a little bit more, I don't know, scientific-based. But right now, let's just think of our senses as simply as we possibly can. And that is literally take a stop and look at what it is that is around you. Are the trees all the same type? Are they all chestnut oaks, for example? Like if I walk out a ridge that I'm familiar with, 
as I walk out through there, almost every tree, I can see it as I'm walking through there in my mind right now, almost all the trees are chestnut oaks. Do the trees have a quite a diversity? Are there a bunch of different trees instead? Are we in a draw? Are we on the top of a ridge? Are we in an area where there's a lot of water? Are we in an area where it's incredibly dry and there's no not much soil? Is the soil loamy? Is it sandy? Is it made more of clay? What are the things that I can literally see with my own eyes that will help me connect with the nature that surrounds me? Now, the beautiful thing is you don't have to go into the middle of the woods. Now, I talk about this because I'm very fortunate to be able to have access to some wooded wilderness areas that I can go to on a regular basis. But I also do this in city parks. I teach people how to do this in city parks. I teach people how to do this in their own backyard. Because the key is when you walk into a backyard, or let's say you live in a set of apartment buildings and you have a grassy area or a small area where there might be a couple trees. When you go out, what is it that you see? Is the grass over there a little bit darker than it is over here? Why is that? What is it that you're seeing? What is it that you're hearing? Do you only hear urban sounds when you get into a wilderness area? Are you hearing certain bird sounds? I'll get into that a little bit later, more in depth. And here's a big one that people oftentimes miss that I'm a big fan of. What is it that you're smelling? So these are just ways that just very simply, you start to utilize your senses to see the differences, see what we refer to in tracking as the baseline of the environment. What kind of things stand out from that such that it makes makes something more noticeable? Is that tree over there dying because, well, all the trees here have leaves on them, but that one doesn't. These are all things that you can see, hear, taste, smell, and touch and feel. Now, number two, as I mentioned earlier, we're going to talk about how our minds work a little bit. I call it mnemonic fouling. I've been talking about this for years as it relates to, and this is going to sound crazy, talking about nature connection. Maybe, maybe. Uh, It's called mnemonic fouling, and I've utilized this to teach people about active shooters and active aggressors and self-defense and stuff of that nature. Basically, when we see something with our eyes, this is really important to understand, our eyes capture that information. And then push that information into the brain. And when it goes into the brain, what happens is the brain starts going through a filing cabinet. And this filing cabinet has files in it. And let's say that we're looking at trees. When our eyes see a tree, and this is happening in very minute uh, milliseconds of time when this happens. Our eyes see a tree. And as it sees that tree, we open up the file cabinet. We go through trees. Maybe we know it's an oak, but we don't know what type of oak. So we open up the file that has all the oak trees in it, and we start flipping through all the oak trees, and we see one that's got furled bark. We have a rounded leaf, so now we know that it's a white oak, not a red oak. And the leaf doesn't have really any large lobes on it, so now we're probably looking at a chestnut oak, right? So that's how mnemonic filing works. Now, the key, as you can imagine, is... Think about a filing cabinet at your house or your workplace or something of that nature. Think about the files on your computer system, whether it's your phone or your laptop or your desktop, whatever. The more files that we have in our filing cabinet, the better the ability we have to see things. And the only way to fill up photos, if you will, photo captures that we store in our mind is to spend more time in nature. And the more we study it, the more we sketch it, the more we take photos of it and we study those photos and we look at the veination of a leaf we look at the patterns of a leaf we look at the patterns of a leaf on a stem 
We look at the stems on the on the trunk of the tree. We look at the base of the tree. On and on. All these things that we notice, we start to create these patterns, these things that we recognize, and we file those away. The more we build those files, the better off we are. That's why what I like when I like to study with somebody, I like to study with somebody who has a tremendous amount of experience in the field. Whether I'm studying small unit tactics with somebody on how to carry a firearm and defend myself, I want to carry I want to study with somebody in that has spent time outdoors doing exactly what I just described, which is small unit tactics. By doing that, what happens is I have the ability to rely upon someone else's experience. When I want to study plants, I study with somebody who has a lot of experience literally in the field looking at plants because they can help me because they have that experience. Their filing cabinet is going to be huge compared to mine. But by opening up their filing cabinet, by asking them questions, I get to make a photocopy of what it is that they've seen in their filing cabinet. I get to put it in my mind, and now I can relate to those things and be able to see those things as well. Real useful to find somebody who has a lot of experience of field to study with. This is definitely two of tracking. Obviously, we spend a lot of time tracking. We spend a lot of time sharing tracking skills with people that are interested in in wildlife tracking as well as man tracking. I mean, what kind of things can I do? What kind of things can you do to help recognize more things about tracks? Well, the key is to track. I say this all the time. How do you become a good tracker? How do I want to become a good tracker? This is how I do it. I track a lot. I get out and spend a lot of time tracking. Now, point number three, and this is key for a lot of different things, right? But it's what I refer to as randomness versus order. We'll be back after a quick break. Hey, guys and gals, a quick break in our episode to talk about a game changer in outdoor cooking, the Fire Maple Backpacking and Camping Stove System. Whether you're hiking, fishing, or even prepping for emergencies, this portable pot and jet burner is a must-have in your gear. Best part? It's nearly half the price of a comparable jet boil stove system. Thanks to its leading heat exchange technology, you'll experience reduced boiling times by up to 30% compared to traditional stoves, even in windy conditions. That means more time enjoying the outdoors and less time cooking. Are you ready to upgrade your outdoor cooking game? Click the link in the description now to grab yours. Trust me, your outdoor adventures will never be the same. Once you start observing the things that are happening around you in the outdoors, what you can do is you you start this mnemonic filing process. But one of the best ways to do that is to start recognizing that even though, hey, it looks like a bunch of trees that are in front of you, for example, or there's just a bunch of weeds there in front of you, or there's a bunch of flowers there in front of you, whatever it is that you're looking at in nature you recognize that, yeah, it looks just like a bunch of stuff. But the closer you look and the more you inspect it, the more you realize there's quite a lot of order as it pertains to what you're seeing. You know, for example, I'll go back to this chestnut oak because I've been utilizing it a lot in this particular podcast. When I look at a particular area on the farm that I spend a lot of time on, I notice that 90% of the trees that I see on the ridgetops are chestnut oak. That's because chestnut oaks do pretty well without a whole lot of moisture and without the greatest soil in the world. They're great trees for properties that have that, and that's the type of property that I spend my time on. 
due to the age of that particular part of the world, soil erosion and, and water doing all the things that it does to take the soil away from that particular area, chestnut oaks really thrive there. And so it might look like a bunch of trees. It might They might be different shapes. They're, they are different shapes. There's some big ones. or some little ones. They have Some of them have crooks in them. Some of them are fairly straight. And some of them have leaves on them. Some of them are, are dead and they don't have leaves on them. But as I look, I notice, you know, 90% of these trees are chestnut oaks. And when I get down into the bottom off the top of this ridge, well, that's when I start seeing white oaks. Hmm. Not true for every place, I can tell you that, but at least if you start to recognize species of trees or plants, flowers, whatever it is that you might be looking at, you'll start to notice that there's a whole lot more order than maybe you recognized. And so as somebody that's new to looking in the outdoors and trying to connect to nature, one of the things that I can recommend for you is obviously start to identify whatever things that interest you. For me, as you can tell, I love trees. And so I started recognizing patterns in trees. And when I started recognizing patterns in trees, I started recognizing even better wildlife corridors and how they travel. I noticed songbirds go to different trees and on and on and on. And so just for me, studying trees, it helped me understand a whole lot that happens out there that had gone unnoticed by myself for a goodly portion of my life. And so start to check out this randomness versus order and as it relates to what it is that you're seeing. Next, number four is bird language and activity. Uh, Many years ago, they had warning signs in caves where they would take canaries into caves. If the canary died, then it was time for the humans to get out because that they were just an indicator species of what was happening in the area. Birds are no different anywhere in the world. They are a fantastic, fantastic indicator species of what's happening in an area in which you live. You know, a a case in point, robins, for example, because almost everybody has seen robins. If robins are around, then there's probably ground situations such that worms can live there. So it's not that you know and see all kinds of worms. It's just that because robins are here, well, there's probably some worms there because robins really like to eat worms. For example, a woodpecker. If you see an area and all of a sudden you see, man, there's a bunch of woodpeckers right here. Either they're migrating through or there must be a lot of dead trees in the area because that's what woodpeckers do. They peck on dead trees and get the insects that are out of those dead trees. And so that, again, is just paying attention to bird language and the activity that you might see. I talk about all the time when I refer to bird language to our tracking students, but birds typically talk about three things, food, sex, and danger. So they have certain calls where they're just doing their thing. It's just like hanging out, chilling, chillaxing, whatever it is that you want to call it. Probably trying to find some food or something of that nature. They actually make some interesting calls when they're mating and trying to attract one another. And then they usually have a more excited, higher pitched, uh, quicker paced call when danger comes about. And so if you pay attention to these bird languages, these bird sounds, then it'll be able to tell you a whole lot about what it is that you're hearing that's going on around you. Now, point number five, which is our last point, is I like to think about when I'm trying to connect to nature, again, whether I'm connecting because I want to hunt there, I want to just hike there, I want to saunter there, as John Muir would state, I just want to hang out and chill out. Just try to pay attention to what's happening on a grand scale, like a larger scale. Most of these things that I've been talking about up to this point are simple, smaller 
I wouldn't say that they're micro methods of studying nature, but let's just call them that for now. If you're looking at the micro methods, like in points one through four, number five is a macro method. And what I mean by that is what kind of things do you see when one type of habitat goes to another type of habitat? For example, you're walking in an area and you're in an open meadow, you're in an open field, you're in some area where there's a lot of grasses, wildfires, for example, wildflowers, not fire, sorry. There's different types of things that are going on there. And then all of a sudden you walk into a forested landscape. What changes? You know, I had a, I recently read this the other day as far as, and I'm sitting here trying to recall where I read this, but it was, I can't recall where it was, but let's think about this. Let's say that there's a hundred species of wildlife or insects that live on or live in a open habitat like a field or a meadow or something like that and let's say there's a different hundred species that live in the forested area if you pay attention to where these two areas go from one to the other you probably have an increased opportunity to be able to see insects or birds or wildlife because that's where they're going to meet so you have the hundred that are in the field you've got a hundred in the forest well because these two areas meet then you have an opportunity to see one of 200 different things right there. Whereas the deeper you get into the forest, you only have an opportunity to see 100. Out in the middle of the field, you only have to see those 100. But right there at that edge habitat, again, you've got that opportunity to see one of 200 different species of critters or whatever it is. So wildlife edge habitat, where one edge goes into another, is a fantastic place to pay a lot of attention. Look at the track traps. You know, we talk about, and I need to do more podcasts from Natural Notebook on how to find tracks. And we'll do that at some point in time because obviously I love tracking. But track traps are areas that are more likely to hold tracks. You know, it's difficult to capture a bunch of tracks on hard, compacted earth. Or maybe even in leaf litter, particularly on gravel or something like that. It's not impossible, it's just more difficult. But if you have a mud puddle, if you have a a softer area or soft dirt, then you're more likely to capture tracks there. So if you're in an area that you're familiar with or you get to travel to a certain park or you get to travel to a certain wilderness or you get to go to a nature preserve on a regular basis, know where the track traps are. And when you go there, take an opportunity to go check out those track traps and see what you can see. These are five ways that, that you can get better connected to nature. Number one, dig into your senses. Pay attention to what's going on around you. Number two, understand what mnemonic filing is and how that filing cabinet of thoughts works. Files that are in the file cabinets of your mentors and your teachers and those that you listen to and pay attention to and make them your own. Number three, pay attention to randomness versus order. Number four, pay attention to bird language and activity. And number five, let's take a look at the macro or the the grand scale of things that we might call it, the larger things that we may have missed and how they connect with one another. So yeah, this has been another Naturalist Notebook. Thanks for joining me. And here's the important thing about any of this stuff that I tell you on any of our podcasts, but particularly the Naturalist Notebook. Here's some things that I can recommend for you to do to apply these things to your life. These are what I would call the action steps. These are things, the things that you need to do after listening in. Here's number, there's just one today, and this is going to make it real easy. Find some spot, whether it's on the back step of your apartment where you can see a tree or some grass, 
or a wooded area where you can get into it or a park or something of that nature, some place where you can get into nature and sit down. Sit down, take a load off, chillax, kick your shoes off, feel the grass in your feet, pay attention to what's going on around you. Typically refer to these as a sit spot. Mr. John Young's the first person that taught me that through his writings. And uh, I'm a certified naturalist through one of his programs. Uh, fantastic, fantastic thing that you can do is just literally develop and figure out where your sit spot is going to be and go there and sit and just pay attention to what's going on around you. Can't recommend it enough. So this has been Craig Cottle, Director of Nature Reliance School for Naturalist Notebook. Thanks for joining me today. As always, come on, join in. Let's learn together. Thank you for dropping in and listening. We hope you like these podcasts. And if you do, we ask you for three simple things. Number one, click that follow or subscribe button. That really helps us out. Number two, if you know someone that might enjoy these podcasts, please share. And number three, send us feedback. Please tell us how we can improve and what's going well and pass along some topics that you would like to hear. Thanks again, and enjoy the outdoors until the next podcast episode by Nature Reliance Media. And that wraps up another fantastic episode of the Nature Reliance Podcast. I hope today's journey has inspired you to explore and connect with the natural world in new and exciting ways. Before I say goodbye, remember to check out the Nature Reliance School online membership. If today's episode sparked your interest in wilderness skills and outdoor adventures, this online community is the perfect place for you to start or continue your journey. You can currently sign up for a year for only $99 and get two months for free. Click the link below to discover a world of expert-led courses, engaging content, and a vibrant community eager to share their knowledge and experiences. Whether you're starting your outdoor journey or looking to deepen your existing skills, the Nature Reliance School online membership is here to guide you. Thank you for joining us today. Don't forget to subscribe for more adventures and share this podcast with your fellow nature enthusiasts. Until next time, come on, join in. Let's learn together.